Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, scumbags. This is the Scummy Mummies podcast. With your hosts, Ellie Gibson and Helen Thorne. Hello and welcome to the Scummy Mummies podcast. It's me, Helen Thorne. And it's me, Ellie Gibson. Ellie, I am thrilled today because we have the wonderful, uh, the brilliant, Julia Samuel. Hello, Julia. Hello, Ellie and Helen. Lovely to be here on your podcast. Oh my good, that's more polite than we usually get, Helen. That's <laughs> yeah. very nice. It's very oh, nice. Bit, oh, well, she yes. set the tone. Yes. We'll be lovely. very, very, very unpolite um, now. No swearing, Ellie. Go oh, on. Oh yeah, good luck with that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you about eight minutes. That's my, my <laughs> I'm good. actually known for swearing. So. Oh, are you? Yes. Come into the bosom of the scummy mummy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very excited because we're at your, is this is your house? And is this one of your rooms that you do your... Um, so this is my, my psychotherapy room, yeah. <gasps> the th- if these walls could talk, oh Helen. My God. <laughs> the things you must have heard in here, Julia. Oh, oh. Wow. I've heard mainly a great deal of sadness. Yeah, but I was going to say. Yeah, everything. Mm. Lots of tears. Uh, do Lots you ever cry? Yes, I do. Do you? With, with my clouts, yeah. Oh. That's beautiful. Yeah. The way you said that wasn't very convincing. Did it not sound very sincere? Oh, not very good. <laughs> That Aww. sounded like, oh. Let me try again. Let me, yeah, yeah. Go on, Ellie. Again. No. Is that better? <laughs> no. no. That was patronising. I was patronising, yeah. Oh, God. That's that, that's that. Drama. Yeah, okay. None, yeah, of, it, none of it works. Just forget I've said anything. Okay. Let's carry on. Go, Helen, go. And how long have you been practising as a psychotherapist? About 32 years. So wow. probably longer than you've lived. Yes, exactly. Well, I am 29 <laughs> just, on Tinder. Just about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's correct, Julia. Um, wow. So what sort of psychotherapy do you specialise in, or what area do you specialise in? So my you? specialty is grief. Um, I worked just across the road at St Mary's Paddington, supporting families who had children and babies die. Mm. And I helped start a, a charity, a founder patron called um, Child Bereavement UK. So I did that. I was at Mary's 25 years. But I now see clients that that is mm. the heart of what i do is a therapist yeah and and i write and come on your amazing podcast yes well this is obviously what you've been building up to yes <laughs> all your career this is like the oscars yes it is in therapy terms this is your victory walk this is your victory <laughs> yes. lap after all the hard work gosh i mean child bereavement you know that's i mean where yeah where do you even start with that because obviously many of us think that as the worst thing that could possibly happen so when someone comes into the room and meets you kind of for the first time and says they've lost a child where do you even begin I mean I can feel it now still just as you say that in my chest and in my stomach it is well in my understanding of 
the world. I think it is the worst thing that can happen to you. Mm. And I think the, the kind of key thing that I do is I acknowledge when they first come how devastating it is and how much pain they're in and, the, you know, I can't fix that. Mm. Um, because, you know, their child has died and nothing can fix that. Mm. And I hope to get, kind of build a relationship where they feel safe with me, where they allow themselves to feel the sort of full panoply of what they feel, which society and often their family or the outside world doesn't allow. Because, we're, but, you know, suffering is complex and noisy and messy and complicated and brings up versions of ourselves that we didn't even know we had. Like, being a mother brings up a different version of you. Being a grieving mother brings up a different version of you. And so I hope that they, in kind of fully expressing and, and kind of learning to accommodate and find a way of living, and in the end, I hope, loving again, following the death of their child. Because at the moment of the death, even, I don't mean even as if it's, worse or better, but even when they have other children, is the death of everything they believed in, trusted and expected for the future. It's a, it's a death of, of what they saw, you know, that it's a death out of time. You, should, you, ne- you know, you would never imagine that you would bury your own child. Mm. That's probably a longer, more complicated answer than you expect. No, no but an, an excellent one. Is it, is it true that we all experience different grief in different ways and it manifests in, in different ways or are there common threads and common sort of experiences and ways of coping that you see through people I mean that's a really good question so I think in some ways we're as different on the inside as we look on the outside and yet we have common features eyes and nose and mouth and so the the common features are the level of the pain is equal to the level of the loss so and pain is the agent of change and pain is the kind of biggest shoutiest aspect of grief Um, and that can come in many forms of feeling furious raging despairing sad jealous you know all the different all the different kind of feelings Um, but what is also universal is that we need to find a way of of expressing and experiencing our grief allowing pain to be the agent of change because that is how we heal and the things that we do to block the pain which could be business it could be anesthetics like sex or drink or alcohol or whatever those keep the pain kind of tight inside us but then it comes up and gets Mm. us unchanged unresolved through the rest of our life sounds brilliant grief's just great isn't it It sounds bright laugh absolutely (laughs) wonderful (laughs) have you have you ever had a a significant loss well do you know that was sort of going to be my next question because um no to be honest not really uh yes touching all the wood but um i've lost grandparents but again that's not out of time right that's we all expect that so my my one of my grandmas was 100 so it was not not a great shock uh that was fine but um you know, I had I had a sort of glimpse of it because my son was born nine weeks early, so oh, wow. that was touch and go. So I remember I described it to someone at the time. I, was, I had a little look into the abyss, uh, but I also understand that it's absolutely nothing like I would never Skaboon, say that you, he was actually Skaboon. losing a child. He yes, he was, in, he was in special care for six weeks, and the first week or so was was you know they didn't know if he was going to make it. So that was really, a different were, kind of grief. Yeah, he hadn't learned to breathe and all of that, you know, all that stuff. So scary. So that was, I thought I might have to, 
deal with them but then we were luckily our, our story unlike many people's had a had a happy ending so there was that so I had a little a little taster <laughs> can I give you a, a, a pause so I would say that that was a living loss so it isn't a loss from death from grief but it's a loss from what you were expecting and it's a loss of the picture of the birth that you dreamed of the moment you learned that you were pregnant. You expected to give birth to a healthy child at the time with everyone there and the smiles and warmth. And actually you gave birth to a lot of complexity, trauma, fear and the risk that he could die. And that is a living loss. And actually looking at your face, I can see that the, the fear of that and the sadness of that is still in you. Yeah, it wasn't a good laugh. It wasn't a great laugh, to be honest with you. No, you know, it was. It was. Uh, it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me, um, and it was. It was awful. Um, but as I say, it was. It was all right. But um, you know, rather than turn this into an actual free therapy session for me, um, <laughs> but I do want to say, I do think about grief and, and loss because it is. It's coming for me, right? I'm very close to my parents. They're in their seventies, and, and the reality is that one day they're going to go. Is there anything? that we can do to prepare ourselves for that kind of reality? Lots of things that you can do. I mean, one of the things that you can do is, first of all, letting yourself know it, that, you know, they're in their 70s, they're more likely to die um, sooner, and have conversations with them. Talk to them about the things that you may never have talked to them about. Tell them how much you love them. Ask them, do they want to to be on a life support machine or would, would they rather die without? Do they want to be buried or cremated? What are their passwords? Um, mm. How do they want to be remembered? I think one of the things that's much more important, really, than our, our will of our goods and chattels is our ethical will. Like, if they wanted to pass something down to you and your family, what is it that they want? The values, the beliefs? What do they want you to remember? Mm. Um, what really matters to them? That's and do they fear death? Do they believe in God? What are their worries about? So when I work with a family, one of my kind of overarching questions is, what are your worries? And if you're like my mum, you'd say, nothing, and just change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody else who's more prepared to look at maybe their own death, um, they would say... I'm not frightened of being dead, I'm frightened of dying, or um, I don't want to die like my mum, I saw her die and she suffered, or so mm. it'll bring stuff out. And then, because the time you have now, um, when they die, is that window you have an opportunity, and what you don't want is the regrets of after they've died, of all the things you wished you'd said or done. Mm. Mm. And we're in a privileged position, because often, um, you see when people do a post on Facebook about um, losing a, a parent or, or a really close person, that always put, tell everyone that you love, that you love, love them. them. Yeah, and, and, and there's that, that thing is that, have I, did I tell them enough? You know, did they know um, how much they loved? I'm about to go home to Australia in April. You must have missed them so yeah, much. I did actually, and I do. And so when I was in Australia two years ago, I was married. And, wow. and then I came back and a couple of months later, you know, I found out my husband had an affair and then lockdown happened. And then Shit. 
Um, so I haven't seen my parents since I've changed in many, many, many ways. And um, my dad's 86 and my mum's going to be 80. And, then, wow. and they're both not that particularly well. So I'm very conscious that it might be the last... It could possibly be the last, last time I see them. Because um, I only see them every couple of years. And that's a I, huge thing, isn't it? That the mile, really, That's when the miles really, really make a difference. Yeah. And, I'm, and I've just been thinking about that a lot in the last couple of months in the lead up to seeing them going... What am I gonna? What do I really want to say to them? What, what experiences do I want? And I was, I, you know, I was thinking, I want to go and sit on the beach with my mum in the place that we sat when I was little and things like that. And I, I keep thinking, but I, you know, I don't want to overforce it. I don't want to go. Look, you're nearly going. Come on, let's go and have some cake in our favourite cafe. You know, because I don't want to force those no. experiences, but I still want to make them. You know, that's yeah. But the thing that I imagine, it's not like they haven't had those thoughts. Okay. What do you mean it's not all about me? <laughs> no, but it's not like they're not, good. They're not thinking, well, mm. this could be the last time we see her. Yeah. So by you bringing it up and then going with which whatever they do, yeah. um, you may be actually liberating them to want to have these... Con- this yeah. whole thing of I don't want to upset my mum or my dad or my daughter or my husband yeah. is actually the route normally to upset them. Because mm. all the things you don't say and the conversations you don't have haunt you. Mm. And can I add a, a segue, which is I don't like the term losing, lost, gone, passed away. Yeah. I like the word dead. Excellent. Dying. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You didn't, no one lost their mum and dad. No. Unless they left them no, in I the did. park I, and they had a No, I didn't. I did so actually. She did actually lose I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, tell her, um, tell her. <laughs> But that is a different thing, just to say. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, a few years ago, my parents uh, were driving in the outback <gasps> and they got lost for 24 hours. Oh, my hours. God, like all those stories yeah, in yeah, Australia. Yeah. So there were like six helicopters, the <gasps> entire state. It was all over the news. Their mug shots, which were their photo IDs from their driving licence, which made them look like criminals anyway, in the newspapers. That's and so, so awful. I, ha- I thought they were dead. Yes. And I was booking flights, choosing hymns, you know, like just, I went into full, th- I thought I've lost both yes. my parents and then I kept saying, what was the last thing I said to my father? What would I do? So you know, this yeah, is a yeah. really Take good, <laughs> so go back to that video mm. and use that video as the data to work on mm. for when you see them. Yeah. Because that is giving you everything mm. that you want to have done. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I would do is record their voice and take tons of photos. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, d- I thought I'll take my mic and have, even just think of five questions or, you know, things like that. that, that, that Ask them about their childhoods yeah. and, you know, things like that. Because mm. I've got all the gear and so it would be nice. I mean, it's kind of my job <laughs> interviewing people, so it'd be nice to do it with And most dad. people really like talking about their past. Yeah. They really love remembering what it was like and, mm. you know, I do that with my grandchildren. They look at me like a time without a telephone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was it in black and white, Granny? <laughs> time that you could smoke in a cinema or on an aeroplane oh, or in the nice. tube. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> he came out smelling of smoke when he just went out for dinner. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's, I think that's really lovely because I think, you know, we're all entering this age whether we've, you know, we may have all lost one parent or we will, they will die, sorry, I have, I have lost. That was correct, but we yes. will, we will see the death of our parents, and um, yeah, and I think it, it is, it is this time of our lives in our forties and fifties where we have to confront that. So yeah, and we're very good, both Australians and British people, of not. 
dealing with it particularly well and how do you do you think it's changing are you seeing how we deal with grief changing I, I do think it's really is changing I mean yeah. it's slow like all change always, always change takes yeah. a long time um, I think the pandemic has sped it up in mm. that when everyone thought other people were vectors of dis- illness and disease and they felt everyone was going to die, I think there were more conversations around the kitchen table yeah. about death and dying than there had been for dec- decades. Mm. But I think the the kind of history of grief comes from kind of the First World War. So Queen Victoria was the poster woman for grief. You know, she wore black after Albert died. It was fashionable to wear black and you had your black memorabilia. So you talked about death, but you never talked about sex. So mm. sex was didn't happen. Ah, interesting. You know, don't look at your down belows. But then the first... <laughs> my mother only looked at hers for the first time last year. She's 42. <laughs> yeah. That's what my mum called them, down belows. Anyway, I like it. <laughs> I'm going to change... My other favourite one that we had some of the podcast called it a panini, but I'm going to change it to down belows. Yeah. That's going in the book. Um... And then the First World War happened, mm. where millions of people died and were not buried, and that mm. you know there were so many. Everybody had someone who died, whether it was a husband, a father, or yeah. a child. And then there was the flu epidemic of nineteen eighteen, where more millions died, and so no one could afford to grieve because no one was able to listen. And everyone was suffering. And so they had to go into overdrive of survive and get on. Mm. So shut down the pain, multiply, don't talk about sex, have lots of sex, have yeah. lots of children. <laughs> get and on those with it. children, get <laughs> on with it. <laughs> Try and build life back yeah. because that is your imperative to survive. Nobody cares what you feel about it from an evolutionary perspective. It's just to keep going. Mm. And then the Second World War came, which my parents fought in, who were children of survivors of the First World War, so they didn't talk about death either. And really, it's only since we've had these 60, 70 years of actual not having war in the country and not being under threat and lots of psychological knowledge that we didn't have... My parents didn't have a clue. I mean, not a clue. I mean, I think my dad wouldn't have known what a feeling... What, I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They, just, they, they just didn't have that language. Mm. Um, and so now we have a great deal more knowledge and, and emotional intelligence and uh, on which we can dare to express how we feel in grief. Mm. So I have another practical question. Okay, <laughs> good at practical. Um, which is, you know, we talked about maybe preparing for our parents' death. Is there any ways to prepare for our own death? Because I'm, I'm like 44 now and I read this book, which I've probably banged on about on here before, called 4,000 Weeks. Oh, yeah. About how the average lifespan is... Four, or about yeah. like 4,000 weeks, right? Then that's if you live to be 90. And, and then I was like, oh, right, but then that means I'm like halfway through. So that means I've only got 2,000 weeks. And that doesn't... I mean, I've got a lot of Married at First Sight Australia still to get through. That doesn't feel like a very long time. So I do... I find it really comforting, though. I find that like, oh, cool, all right, I'm conscious of how long I've got, so I'm not going to waste it. And I find that quite motivating. But I do think about death and, and and think god you know how can we prepare ourselves and what do we do when we get this feeling like is it is it coming you know am i wasting time how do you how do you deal with that i mean i think i think lots of things about that i think when we deny our death and you know a lot of our culture is you know close my eyes pretend it happens to other people and push it out the door. And then when it does happen, when you get a health diagnosis or someone you love dies, you don't have any of the 
tools or the wherewithal or the kind of information to deal with it. So the first step is, a, is the awareness of it, which can change your perception of what matters and help you prioritise in a really positive way. And also it can give you perspective. So if you're losing it because something hasn't been delivered, you kind of can use the perspective of, well, I'm healthy and I'm well. Mm. And, you know, nobody died. And so maybe losing my shit... And when I'm dead, shit, no one will care. Yeah. <laughs> losing my shit with a delivery driver is probably... You know, it can help mm. you improve. But also, I think... in, I mean, the, the psychological perspective that I think is helpful is that what we don't face, we can't I kind of either fix or learn to integrate. So that the more you have conversations with yourself or journal or talk to your husband or talk to each other or your best friends about death and dying then it has less fear it's silence that contaminates and sends fear through our bodies but the thing I do like with my kids and they're like mom you know I send them my passwords I send them all of my passwords mm. I've told them that I want to be cremated I told them where I want my ashes to be scattered but just because I think it's useful information. Mm. And I have it in a little thing in my desk in my drawer. And they, I photographed it and sent it to my four kids. And they were like, they gave me kind of emojis. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's so good, though. And, and But the torture people have when they don't know the passwords. Absolutely Their father's maddening. died. And they have his life on his computer. Yeah. It's access. just awful. Well, in some cases, maybe it's good not to be able to access your father's hard drive, but that's perhaps a story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> but my husband, for example, sometimes a bloody nightmare, Julia. My husband, Pete, he wants a Viking funeral. I'm like, oh, that'll be easy to arrange in South East London. I'll just, I'll just get a bloody longboat, will I, and pour a load of petrol and p- push it down Lewisham Canal. Nobody's going to bat an eyelid. Like, but I he just wants you to have to really do a lot of work. Right? He, he's get, paying you back. He'll get what he's given. <laughs> he'll get what he's given. Don't believe in an afterlife, so he can't haunt me. Tough luck. That's yeah. it. That's so funny. Why does he want a Viking one? You know, it's, it's a tension. He's still, it's just a... He wants the... I think he, you know, he sees himself as some sort of Nordic warrior, but in actual fact, you know, he's an IT professional from South London, so I don't, you know... Who, who knows what goes on in that man's head? In fact, I might send him to see you. You can dig it out. I was, I was going to actually move on to your book because we're, you know, a lot of the discussion we've had so far is about family, isn't it? It's about moments in our in our um, life where things don't go how we planned like Ellie had a premature baby my parents got lost and then my yeah and then my husband um turned out to be a terrible man um so (laughs) and that that she says laughing I mean if you were my client I would do something with that (laughs) (laughs) she's off again no yeah we're both stroking our chin yeah okay yeah um yeah so I think I think that's it and and as you were saying about having the silence and the uncomfortable conversations because we don't want crap things to happen in our lives we don't but it it just happens and it's about what are the building blocks or what are the strategies that we can cope uh to talk about these things because it doesn't go away and and um my mum's catchphrase was just forgive and forget forgive and forget I'm like really you really forgiven that person and have you really forgotten but that was her sort of that was her sort her of, mantra yes that was the wave you know the magic wand did it work for her i don't think it did <laughs> do you think there's just piles of yeah, unforgiven yeah. resentment i think there's, there's the lasagna <laughs> 
all sorts of memories and things. And and I really um, appreciated reading your book. We were lucky enough to get an advanced copy. Because you're so important. Yes, that's what we told um, <laughs> the publishers. Please send us very advanced copies um, about you during the pandemic having these conversations on Zoom and how... Finally, it was so much easier to bring everybody together because otherwise it was like logistically times and, and trying to get. And so I'd love you to talk about those those conversations or, or what, what it's like being a family therapist, because what a privilege it is to look into somebody's. It's like peering in the window of someone's home. It was incredible. I mean, so I mean, my my basis is that every client that's ever walked through my door has always spent a huge amount of their time talking about their family of origin or the family they're trying to make. That It's a big part, and yet the, all the people involved aren't present. And people who come into therapy become because they're suffering in the present. But actually, after you know maybe even 20 minutes, you can see that it's woven with threads from the past, from the things their mothers have said, experiences with their dad, the rivalry with their siblings or the sibling rivalry of their childhood they're taking into their marriage, you know. So there's always mm. those things. And so I thought I really want to examine it with everybody in the room so that I can hear everyone's voice with the idea that often there's this black and white thing of my version is right and you're wrong, but we can expand our level of connection and good intention in families where we allow everyone's view to be heard. Mm. And that, you know, I only saw, I saw, so I did eight case studies, very different families. So I did, you know, a kind of middle-class family with a grandmother and the, the, the mother and the daughter came to university. I did uh, Orthodox Jewish family, five generations where the great-grandmother was an ultra-Orthodox Jew who'd been in Auschwitz and survived. Extraordinary. I did a family that um, had been in great poverty and separated and there was a lot of difficulty in the relationship. A lot of it caused by the poverty, actually, mm. truth be told. And a black Afro-Caribbean family where a child had died. So lots of different stories with different backgrounds. And I only saw all of them for probably six, eight or ten sessions, which is basically a series of Netflix. Yeah. But... What I learned from each of them on the screen was that the thing that matters is the level of how we can be honest with each other and trust each other and allow each other to be themselves, allow the difference. So rather than, you know, forget and move on, like your mum says, Mm. you know, where you love most, you also hate most, you have the biggest fights because you care most. And so indifference is the opposite of love, not hate. But in families, you need to learn how to fight productively, how to kind of have a fight, go off, storm off, but then come back and repair. So in the trade, it's called rupture and repair. So you properly repair and you have a conversation after (coughs) the fight to kind of work out Mm. what was going on. And what I kind of loved from it was that it, they felt like, you know, I was in the room with them and they were in the room with me and these people who had known each other literally all their lives discovered aspects of themselves that they never knew existed and that they did all feel closer in the end mm-hmm. and um, there was a family whose 
um, father had died by suicide 40 years before the Rossi family. And the children had been, you know, very young, a three-year-old up to a nine-year-old. And the, the thing that I saw with the Holocaust and the um, suicide family was until you deal with the pain from the past, it keeps playing out and injuring the present. Yeah. The, tra- the unresolved trauma from the past fucks with your life yeah. until someone's prepared to feel the pain. And so one of the big messages from the book, from sort of transgenerational trauma, but also ways of coping with trauma, is once you deal with the pain and allow yourself to express it, then you can be released from it and learn to engage with life and trust again. So so going, just going back to what you were saying about fighting, so fighting is... Is all right? Is that is yes. that what we're saying? Which I, I find like, that's unavoid- quite a relief to hear. It's unavoidable. Yeah. How is it not? Well, yeah. I, don't know, I had a couple of. I had a friend. I remember saying, he he said to me that me and my husband like fight a lot, and him and his girlfriend never fight. Never fight. And I was like, cool, good for you. Uh, then they <laughs> then they got married, and then they had children, and uh, things have changed a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Isn't that uh, funny, isn't that which, funny? Yeah. Strange that. Yeah, yeah. Snug. Yeah. But there's a right way and a wrong way to fight. There is a right way and a wrong way. So, I mean, I think one of the wrong ways to fight is to use words of weapons of mass destruction and really kind of slay them and also bring up that laundry list of all the stuff that they've done in the past. You always... So if you can fight in a way that you're actually naming what you feel, Mm. like when you didn't take the fucking bins out, I felt... I find that so hard, though, because sometimes... It looks like you're mental because you're going batshit because they haven't taken the bins out, whatever. But I feel I need to explain. No, it's not just the bins today and these bins. It's also the dishwasher. It's yeah. also you were late to do the thing the other week. It's also you still haven't done the car insurance. It's it's a hundred things. things. But so, whereas if I'm just standing there shouting about bins, I feel like a mad person. I feel like I need to explain. But that's fine. So, well, if if the look the bin represents all this stuff that's piled up that's in the present that is fine what I'm talking about is then three years ago right. oh. you because you've never resolved it you've never sorted it out and that you know he can say that you're being difficult and demanding and you know he's done all this other stuff and then you have to kind of go away lower the heat and then come back and look at practically what is going on what does the bins represent how do you find a way which never happens of sharing the load it never does all the research shows it. Well, um, it's just it's just women not doing. It, I think it is possible, but there's something that's <laughs> that's not <laughs> happening. Right. <laughs> I've never seen it happen. Have you? Invisible labour women do much more. Yeah, yeah. and the mental load we've talked mm. about many many times. The emotional load. Yeah, yeah, and just just the expectation that you you will buy the birthday presents, you will buy the you know Christmas present for his mother, all those sort of things. You're like, I'm carrying everything all the time, and then when you do snap. Like, where is all this rage come from? But it's that, yeah, it's all the little paper cuts that, that kind of build up. And um, getting angry is something that I had to learn to do in the last couple of years for obvious reasons. So you never used to get angry? I did. We did have fights, but but I would smooth it over. I, I felt that I was very much the peacemaker. and Like your mum? Yeah, exactly. She, yes, very much smoothing over. And because I didn't want conflict and I wanted to be married wanted to be a wife I wanted her to be happy and I worked really hard at it and we did lots of couples therapy as well did you yeah 
Yeah, twice. Um, so, you know, well, that really graft. bloody work, didn't Jesus, it? I know. Did you want a refund, thanks? Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. might, have, might have helped if he'd said during the therapy what he was actually doing outside of the therapy, Julie. Yeah. I suspect you can't really blame the therapist if the man's not really playing the game. No, uh, he's, <laughs> he's fucking lying the whole if time. He's fucking someone else, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, as she laughs again, yes. <laughs> please make some notes, Julia, for later. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, that it's really... What, what was my train of thought? What was I trying to say? Uh, about fighting. Go back, yeah, yes, fighting. about... Being, See, I'm being, a therapist, I remember this. <laughs> I log them. About... Because um, I would say Ellie's, Ellie's much better at fighting or bringing things up that I suppress. and But I think I've learnt that from my mother is that you just it just gets suppressed but then when I used to see her when everything got too much I was completely petrified I was like oh she's a different lady when it could have sort of bobbled along so I think that's what I'm sort of and when I do get angry with my children I explain it I don't just try to explain I'm like listen you know I'm feeling really angry because of this that and the other thing how do we improve that for next time instead of just having those occasional <laughs> explosions as well and that is then they trust you mm. because Children don't know what's going on, and mm. they normally make it up that they've done something wrong. Or, you know, I think the worst, one of the most difficult things is when you don't know which parent you're going to get. Are you going to get the mum that's really, really nice and calm, or this explosive, terrifying mum, and you don't know what you've done or why it's happened. Mm. But when you can explain, yeah. I'm really upset, you know, partly because Dad's gone, yeah, because I'm worried about my mum and Dad, and that means that I blow up much more often mm. and then afterwards you can give them a cuddle and they can say they're really cross with you I yeah. hate it mum you know yeah, my yeah, grandchildren yeah. tell their parents I hate it when you're bossy with me I mm. hate it when yeah 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 they were one of actually I can't talk about my grandchildren it's not fair of my children no, fair <laughs> That's what, one of them's awful <laughs> no, my children are, and grandchildren that. are amazing mm. but they're, they're, my grandchildren are much they're very good at saying what they want. Yeah, mm. it's really, it's really, it's really it's great. It's really it's empowering, and you might want to talk about their feelings all day long. And I think that's one of the gifts of divorce in a in, in a way because we have to talk about big feelings all the time because their feelings are going up and down, and you know, and they've got a, a small form of grief. They do. It's yeah. a living loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's been that's been the gift, and also. For me, going through a trauma gave me the gift of much deeper friendships because I was like, this is really shit and I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing. And then other friends would start opening up and that brought me so much closer to my girlfriends, which I thought, oh, wow, these are the, the, you know, it's a bit like the flowers that come after the bushfire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really true that you build really close friendships and love by being honest with each other and trading stories of your vulnerability and yeah. your suffering not your suffering but you, you know the things that bother you not and you i think it's virtually impossible maybe i'm the therapist so this is me but you know always putting on a show everything's chirpy you know everything's lovely how does that build a really great friendship i'm not sure how and it's knackering as well it's knackering <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, going back to the family thing, another <laughs> personal question. Yeah. Um, should you make kids say sorry? This is around my husband and I. We have an ongoing disagreement about this. Um, I'm a big believer in saying sorry. We once, me and my husband once had a fight where he said, anyway, uh, in 10 minutes you'll be over it and you'll say sorry anyway. You're always the first one to say sorry. 
<laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> you can imagine how well that went in terms of ending and the fight. Yes. Yeah. So, and then, of course, I found it very difficult to say sorry after, after that, that first. Yeah, but, yeah you know, he blew himself up. Yeah, and I said, go fuck yourself in your Viking funeral. That's yeah. what I said. <laughs> um, but yes, but when kids have done a bad thing, when they've hit their brother or they've broken their thing, whatever, not, not an accident, I mean a deliberate bad thing, mm. he's like, you have to make them say sorry because that's what we have to do as humans. That's what we do to each other. That's polite. But it's also bad. morally correct. And I'm like, that's true, but equally just making them say and you know when they go sorry and I'm like have they actually learned anything, anything. from that other than an authority thick figure has the power to make them do a thing that they don't feel like doing and they don't mean and it isn't authentic um, so um, am I right Julia that's what I'm saying I don't know <laughs> oh god <laughs> I genuinely don't know I think both are sort of have, have a, a logic don't they all make sense I mean, the thing I did was make my children say sorry. But mm. I don't know if I was right. I made tons of mistakes. Maybe that was one of them. Well, do they say sorry now? They do. So they do all say sorry. Oh. They maybe do. They're good, at saying, say sorry. they're good at saying sorry. Yeah. But I don't know whether that's because they're decent human beings, despite my parenting, or because I yeah. forced them and shouted at them to say sorry when they were little. My theory is that I, I show I myself saying sorry and I say sorry a lot in front to them and to Pete mm. and hoping eventually they'll just go, oh right, that's what you do, I'll copy that. Mm. But what if they grow up thinking I'm a twat? <laughs> and then they go, they're going to do that anyway. Yeah, they're going to do that anyway. You've stolen true. the answer I actually had thought of, which ah. is that children learn from what you do, not from what you say. Mm. So they, when they observe you how you fight, how you repair after a fight, saying a, 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 a short sorry and then a genuine sorry with a hug the next day or, you know, a few hours later, that's how they learn, is by observing the adults around them. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to get home and uh, talk to Pete. But... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, no, but that's that's really true, and I think um, I'm really conscious now of my children having 
happy, healthy relationships. And, you know, occasionally Hugo just spontaneously says... My twin brother's called Hugo. It's an excellent name. It's an excellent name. Very good name. Um, He... We were just walking to the supermarket one day and he said, Mummy, when I'm older, if I'm in a relationship, if things go bad, I think I'll just talk about it and then if we're not happy, we'll, we'll break up. And I was like, that's a really good idea, Hugo. But I could tell that he was sort of... He's processing what good relationships are and I know when he has tricky relationships at school he's like oh I don't want to be I don't want to be mean to someone and I think he's processing you know all the things that he's going through um um and the divorce and how it happened and things like that and that's I I find that really reassuring because I have that fear I was like oh gosh you know and when I've talked to other people about you know um when you're the child of someone who's who's cheated you have that fear that you might do it or it might happen to you so it's sort of it been good to sort of have these sort of um chats about it because i yeah i did again you don't want it to sort of build up in the silence because i know so many friends and especially when i was writing the book um about the divorce they said it was people not talking about it that was the hardest thing. Everyone thought it was the best thing for the kids. Oh, well, you know, you now go to dad's every second weekend, but that's just the rules and, and no one's going to talk about it. And, that, and I think that is a, a you know, it's great that you wrote in your book and it's a key message of my book is that what you don't say gets passed down and imagined in the next generation mm. and then is much more likely to be acted out. Mm. Whereas if you can have the conversations and face the difficulties and ask the difficult questions and not necessarily being given answers but allowed to kind of talk about them without answers then you have a much more agency and sense of yourself of how you can deal with them you know having this deep unprocessed um, fear that I'm going to be like my dad um, is, is much more haunting and much more likely to happen mm. yeah and I guess I yeah it was funny doing like there I do weekly therapy now and and have had couples therapy and I kept thinking I I there I am my mother I am my mother <laughs> and just trying to distinguish oh, yes distinguish myself and you hear the phrases you know oh we've had a lovely day don't ruin it now <laughs> you know all yeah. that sort of things <laughs> you're just tired oh, things like that which is kind of sweet but then you think oh you have to process and and becoming I don't know what it was like for you Ellie becoming a mother changed my quite drastically my relationship with my own mum in a good way yeah yeah and I was like why did you have five children it's very 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 tiring and I just had two (laughs) you had four didn't you is that right I had four and I'm one of five yeah so my mum had two sets of twins blimey my father said she always overdid it your mum (laughs) show off But, I mean, one of the other messages in my book, I think, is the unrecognised importance of grandparents. The power of grandparents, of how they've influenced their own children, but also the, the wonderful relationship of the grandchild to the grandparent, which doesn't have the stresses and the daily wear and tear of mm. parenting, but is much more libera- liberating. There was a, a mum in, in the Thompsons where the grandchild was going home, and the grandchild going to university rather, and she chose to go and stay with her grandmother rather than her parents because it was during lockdown, her parents having quite a lot of fights about COVID and, you know, all the rules and stuff. And actually her daughter, I, if that had happened to me, I'd have been quite jealous and minded, like, you're rejecting me and go... But actually her daughter had adored her grandmother too, and so there was something about having another woman in your life 
that you really love that isn't your mum mm. that you can go to and have fun with in a completely different way that I, I didn't really have very active well three of my grandparents were dead by the time I was born so they weren't active at all <laughs> Sort of the opposite of active, <laughs> yeah. one could say. Mm. And then the other grandmother, I, you know, I saw for Sunday lunch. You know, not she wasn't very active. Mm. Um, and it's a whole new discovery to me how amazing grandparents can be. Mm. You yeah. must miss that. Yeah, I do. But they have, they have had the, they've had more time with their grandparents than I did. Even though my granny lived, you know, two hours drive away, because we'd see her every couple of months, but it would be for lunch. But now my mum comes out to Australia, from Australia and she's here for three weeks. And I think, God, they have a much richer... Isn't that lovely? ...longer time than I ever had with my... Like, I think I, I saw my maternal grandmother about six times in my life. Because wow. she lived in Queensland. And so you could only see her every couple of years anyway. And when we did... Yeah, it was, no, it's not well, there. No, it wasn't there at all. So I love the relationship. And, like, we, we do FaceTime and all that sort of stuff. So there, even though it's not close physically, I feel like there's a really lovely I connection. Think FaceTime and social, and all of the, the um, online stuff has enabled families to mm. be close at a time mm. when we haven't been able to. It's the only thing that saved us, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What about when things go badly wrong like is there ever is there ever a point where we do need to to cut out a family member or kind of go I can't engage with you anymore how do we know when that moment's there and is it always is is it always repairable reparable is it there are some relationships you just have to go that is broken and that's done I mean none of these answers none of these questions have black and white answers Mm. but you know in in the book there's the the guy Archie Craig and he um, had a brain tumour and a very came from a very dysfunctional family, but he really did love and care for his mum and dad. But she was impossible um, once he was dying because she just made it all about her. So he had to cut off her. But I think my message would be: it's nothing's for free. You know, you can cut off your your parents, and you can kind of hope that that keeps a lot of the distress and the difficulty at bay. But you will always have a feeling, because they're always part of you, your family. They're kind of in, in embedded in you. Like so a Veruca. Yeah. <laughs> well, like HPV. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Only you two. <laughs> That's where your minds went. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a green for that, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, I mean, I think sometimes you do have to choose for your mental health to cut them off. Hmm. Um, but I, I think it all, it all, it's always painful. Mm. Yeah, that's. I was, I was going to say. I think that's it. Like you can, it's not, it's not out of sight, out of mind. No, that's the right thing to say. And, um, and when you're processing, like obviously, I have with, with divorce, I kind of think, oh yeah, I'm really good. I've been really good for about three months. You know, I'm really great. And then, um. And then someone will ask you a question or something will just happen. Like this morning I was, I was being interviewed on a siblings podcast and and they said, oh, did your brother John help or how did he help during your divorce? And I literally burst into tears. I said, oh, he was the first person I saw the day after I found out about my husband. And I talk about divorce all day long. I've written a book about it and I talk about getting angry. And it was talking about the kindness and they're like they're like just cried and cried I was like why why am I crying about someone caring about me because I'm still 
hurting. So it was really interesting. I was like, yeah, but I'm writing articles and make jokes about divorce. And, you know, I'm, in the show we talk about I love dating and I'm free and all that sort of stuff. But I'm not completely free. There is that sort of rock or that, you know, that, that thing. And I, was, I, th I found it really interesting because I know I spoke to my therapist directly afterwards and it was really good actually to kind of confront that because I just thought, oh no. And, and people want to know. They keep writing to me every day going, how, how long does it take? How long does it take to feel better? How, when do you know? When do you tick all the boxes off? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but the, the, so this is another living loss, right? So yeah. it's a grief from the loss of what you committed to and you wanted to be married and wanted to be a wife and wanted yeah. to have a family and you hoped it was going to be forever. So you're grieving mm. all of the dreams that you hoped and, and kind of assumed that you'd have. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really, both I feel very tender towards you hearing you talk about your brother John because you, when you're talking about John, you're not defended because he loved you and he got you in your heart. So then you open your heart and yeah. that's when you can kind of express it. Yeah. But the rest of the time, it's like you can yes. put on your armour and, and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with grief, I, you know, often people who I see who are divorcing, they say, I wish he was dead, because it would be oh. so much simpler. Yes. I'm not sure it would be simpler, truth be told. <laughs> because your children, <laughs> your children would be without their dad. Yeah, no. And that's quite bad. Yeah. And that's very bad. It's all okay. we're not We're not implying that at all. No, but yeah. we don't literally wish him dead, just no. to be clear. Let's clarify that <laughs> exactly. now for any legal proceedings that may ensue in the next few years. But the thing about grief when you've loved someone and you're still loving them when they die is that you feel the pain of their loss and the love never dies mm. so that you can go on loving them after death by touchstones to memory. The difficulty with you is that you did love him. There's probably elements of that love that you don't want to let yourself know of mm. and there were times that you had and the children that you shared. And so, but you don't want to go to those, the positive places because... You hate the fucker. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, much, it's very complicated, is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. And so when people say to you, when are you over it? My answer is always, it gets much less intense. Mm. But as human beings, we're not machines. And you don't switch off. And you don't switch, you don't switch on and you don't switch off. And there isn't such a thing as closure. You do learn to live with things and you accommodate. But out of the blue, 20 years down the line, you can suddenly get hit by a feeling and you think fuck I thought I dealt with that I've drawn a line through that one I've ticked that and box and we no. don't we don't because <laughs> we're you know we're ignited by sight sound touch and smell and you can just have a smell of a meal that you had with your husband that was a very happy meal or mm. a glass of wine or something or perhaps you step into dog shit in the streets something <laughs> like that and that just brings up a memory just here just, I am being you know. sincere <laughs> light and shade Julia yeah. light and shade <laughs> Uh, Sorry, Julia. That's all right. <laughs> you were saying, it brings up a memory, you can have a memory. And, then, and then it will, you'll yeah. be in tears and you'll think, I'm over it. Yeah. And, and, we, and we do, we learn to live with things and we've, we have a superpower as human beings. We have this capacity, you know, neuroplasticity to adapt and change so that you grow and thrive through adversity mm. and you get bigger and you get stronger. But that doesn't mean that you don't feel stuff. Yeah. 
No, I think that's that's very, very, very so true. It's not about getting over something, it's about becoming hear. engorged by it. No, that's it's <laughs> not. I, I like that image. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe I'll put words in. You wrote your next book, then that, that'll be in there. You wait and see. Yeah. Um, so your, your book is called... Every Family Has a Story, How We Inherit Love and Loss. Excellent. And who, who would you say the book's for? Is it, is it for people who've lost... Or is it just people I, in a family or... Anyone who has a family, which is everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think they, all the people that have read it have said to me they see aspects of themselves even though they come from very different families. Mm-hmm. And I think we, from it, what I hope people will get is that there's no such thing as a perfect family, that we all kind of move on a spectrum of functional, dysfunctional, and to kind of forgive yourselves and and kind of know that you're doing the best you can and you know then I have these 12 touchstones to family which kind of support you at the end but also stories I think stories are so powerful mm. true stories these are all true stories yeah fantastic and that's, and that's what people want to connect with that's, and also we're nosy and we're nosy bloody yeah. nosy yeah. yeah we want to know what's going wrong <laughs> yes <laughs> you should be a therapist uh, maybe I will how long does it take yes <laughs> About five years. Right, okay. Um, yeah. Not full time. Hang on, I've got to check how many weeks I've got left again then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Think about that one. Exactly. Oh. Did you love that book? I shouldn't be plugging somebody else. I thought you meant your book for a minute. I was like, that's a very personal question, Julie. Of course I did. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I thought it was great. Did you like yeah, it? Yeah, I think it was very good. Yeah, I thought oh. it was brilliant. It's definitely... It's. It has made me realise... It, but for me, it's not just about going... Oh, these are the things I want to do. Like I want to go on that holiday, or I want to go to list. that restaurant. It's not just that. It's like actually, these are the things I don't want to do. I don't, I've only got two thousand weeks. I don't want to spend them all doing shit that I'm not interested. Do you in have or a better name? Tired, or mm. you know, or see people that you don't really care about. Yeah, it's yeah. a waste of my life. And I could, enough about me. Uh, now it is time for the scummy mummy confessions. Now I've I've got one. Actually. Oh, go for it. Um, <clears throat> uh, I I I have to confess. I I still um, smoke. Uh, I'm I'm trying to quit, sort of. Anyway, so my kids get very cross. Right? I, get, should, I get very cross. As she well, gets very. Yeah. Everyone should get cross. Yeah, I know. I'm cross. Two thousand weeks, and you're making it fifty three at All this right, rate. Okay, okay. Anyway, it's because. I, Okay, I'm, it's I'm because been, why? It's because no, we've got therapists here. It's because why? It's it's it harks back to me being young, and there's some frivolousness about it. And I love staying up late smoking with my. Makes family. you feel naughty and cool. Yeah, fucking mm. yes, it does. How naughty and cool are you going to be when you're dead of lung cancer? Sorry, Julia, you go. And yeah. you've got emphysema. All right. So this is a good point. Anyway, so I've decided I'm going to run the London Marathon again. Well, fucking hell, stop smoking. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodness this me. is what we came for. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I said to the kids in, in a sort of grand gesture, I said, you, I, you wanted me to stop smoking, I will. I've decided to run the London Marathon and that will inspire me to stop smoking. And my daughter crossed her arms and said, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see it, you know, like, I'll believe it when I see it. And I was like, oh, so yeah, my, my children are very sensible. Um, so my scummy mummy confession is that I, yeah, I'm just still smoking with my children. If they find cigarettes in my bag... 
they'll come up to me and they'll snap them in half and good. put them in the bin and go good stop doing that mummy I was like good Quite so, right. yeah, let your children influence you yeah and they were like we don't want you. why would you do something that makes you sick and makes you unhealthy and I was like yeah alright I'm feeling I'm feeling deep feelings down people shame like, shame, I mean, shame what do you do Julia when someone you care about won't <laughs> fucking listen to you and you're just trying to save their life and be a good friend how do you cope with that punch them <laughs> In the face. <laughs> permission, okay. permission granted. Okay, that's Good. my best what, what date, Let's set a date now. While we're here on the what, what date are you going to give up? Can it be after I come back from Australia? Can I just have a few faggy nights? I, my... I would accept that. What do you think, Julia? With my friends, the okay, professional. So let's if, go with Julia. Let's do a deal. Mm-hmm. If you don't give up when you come back from Australia, yes. What is the punishment? Ooh. I've got one. What is it? No sex for six months. Oh, God, no! Oh, yeah. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's a good one. If you don't stop putting things in your mouth, you can't put things down there, in your down, down in below. Your, in your down below. <laughs> right. Oh, I don't want to give up sex. I love sex. Okay. So, are we going to say you're going to have your last cigarette in Australia? Yes, I think so, with that baggy. Have, have hypnotherapy or something. Oh, that's a good idea. I like Do stuff ac- that helps ac- you. Acupuncture. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. I started right. smaking when I was seven. Oh, Julia. Yes. How did you How did you get hold of I those? I stole my mum's cigarettes, her oh, Rothmans. Oh, gosh. But this um, was of the time. That was very... Of the, and, yeah. I, and then I was caught by my dad who looked out the window and saw me in my little school uniform. <laughs> Sorry. Poddling down the garden, hiding in the garden shed, smoking a cigarette. So I had to come home and write 100 lines. I promise I'll never smoke again. And I never... I went on smoking. I hid... And smoked in Holland Park behind the Holland Park sign every day before I went to school. And I only really stopped smoking when I got pregnant with my first child. Wow. Well, there you go. You pair of smokers. Look at the stage. You, I, you. Still, I still dream sometimes that I've started smoking again. And I wake up and I think, oh, shit, yeah. have I? <laughs> no. No, yeah. no, I haven't. Yeah. I'm very excited now. I can't tell you. We've got a date. Okay, and you report to me. Yes, yeah, she's smoking. Right. Accountability. I'll send you and pictures. then I'll bring my kickboxing gloves oh yeah. and God. punch her yeah. Yeah. in her kickboxing class <laughs> if she hasn't stopped smoking. Is that the deal? <laughs> deal. Sounds and remove deal. all her dildos, all her sex kits. Oh my God. All her everything stuff. God, I'm oh, no waking ass off the no phone. No wanking. We're going full, full banana. Oh, I have to go to bed in my box. She can, <laughs> she can, no, she can wank. It's okay. just not, not with anybody that. else. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. She can have solo sex, but okay. nothing with another body. It's not yeah. the same. You know, I like well. an Italian after dinner. Anyway. Better don't... stop smoking then. Oh, uh, all right then. Excellent. Oh, I feel like we've achieved so much. Um, Julia, do you have Precession. a scummy mummy? Oh, thank you. Yes, we're not paying for this. Uh, Julia, do you have a scummy mummy confession that you could share with us? Well, so it goes with the exercise thing. Mm. So my one of the ones. So my children that are very nice to me on the whole, but give me a lot of teasing and shit, obviously. And one of the ones was I used to pick them up from school. Apparently, I actually do remember this though, so it isn't really apparently. In a, a, a bright pink thong with leopard skin <laughs> leggings. Awesome. After I'd been to the gym and then picked them up from school in my pink thong and leopard skin <gasps> and embarrassed them in front of all <sighs> Awesome. Of Julia, smoking like a chimney, Rothman's <laughs> on the go. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. wow. That's I, embarrassing. I think that sounds quite cool. I think that's yeah, really cool. That is not cool. 
Yeah. Not your mum. Have you have oh, you, you always you know, done boxing? Yeah. Have you always done exercise? Yeah. Yeah. I well I started when I got married. Mm. But I got married at ten, so Oh I see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you are a scummy mummy, would you agree, Julius? I'm a, definitely a scummy mummy. Well we're very honoured to have had you on the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on and telling us about your excellent book, which is when's it out? March the 17th. March 17th. And your other books, uh, Julia, are available now? So Grief Works mm-hmm. is, is stories of, of people grieving different deaths. And This Too Shall Pass, which is about life is change. Mm. And has lots of, a COVID study in it and stuff like that. Brilliant. And, and an app. I've got a grief app. So people are Fantastic. grieving. I, you know, I'm the platform. You've got an app. We haven't got an app. We should get an app. I know. We it's need a very good app. It's oh. a 28-day course, yeah. Oh, oh, very, very good. Fantastic. Fucking app. And uh, and you're on Instagram, I believe, Julia. What's, I am your, on what's your handle? At Julia Samuel MBE. Mm-hmm. At Julia Samuel MBE. I've got an app. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the bio. I've got an app. I've got an app. Uh, love it. Love it. Uh, we've got. We haven't got an app, but we've got an Instagram account. We at do. Scummy Mummies. We've got a shop at scummymummies.com. Mm-hmm. It's what not doing very well. At scummy Mummies. Oh, oh, please buy something. I Nobody's will. Nobody's buying anything. We've got mugs that say wine mug on them. If you like that sort of thing. That is funny. Mug. We've got Mum Island towels. No one buys those. We've got a lot of t-shirts and hoodies that say, say Scummy Mummy. Scummy Mummy, or what else do they say? Gin and on it. Yeah. Are we there yet? Things Maybe like the products aren't good enough yet. It's we, a we don't, thing. We're not it's selling it very well. No, um, but the best. You're not selling it well. No. To be honest, <laughs> the way you thing. said it is like, oh, just don't bother. <laughs> don't, don't bother. Go. <laughs> don't go there. Um, the most exciting part of our job is, of course, uh, our live shows, Ellie, and we're going yes. here, there, and everywhere. Taunton, oh, Nottingham, Swindon, yes, uh, Tewkesbury. Trowbridge. Uh, we're going to the Sausage and Cider Festival in Derbyshire, everyone's favourite festival. Uh, we're going to the Retreat Festival in Wales. and The day this goes out, we'll be in Leeds. We'll be in Chesterfield the next day. Um, yes, Taunton we're going to. Mm. Uh, Swindon, you said Swindon, Newbury. Did you say Horsham? Horsham, Portsmouth, Cambridge. That's right, and we're hopefully going to the Edinburgh Festival again this year. Yes, so go to scummymummies.com. Mm. All the dates and the tickets and the, um, you know, merchandise is on there. The merch, <laughs> the merch is on there. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, that, is that everything? I think so. all the admin? What a joy. Thank you, Are Julia. Are high-fiving? Yes, Yes. Love it. Excellent. Wonderful. Thank, thank you. you so much, Julia. Thank, thank you very you. much for having us. Buy her book. Thank you for listening. Buy her book. Buy, <laughs> buy, her, it, book. buy it. Buy it. Very buy good. her books. And <laughs> stop smoking. Yeah. And that's today's life lessons. <laughs> All right. All no sex ever again. Oh, come on. <laughs> Until next time. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. Uh, yes, you. it's been lovely to have you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for saving Helen's life. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, oh, yeah. I'm living a longer, longer, <laughs> much more fulfilled life now. And what I your can other... hear it in your breath. You yeah. Mm. Same shit. Isn't it? <laughs> awful. Terrible. Awful. Should we bully her? Yeah, that's, okay. that always works. Yeah, that really works. <laughs> <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.